Hey everybody, welcome to the Eagle Naz Church Podcast. My name is Trevor, and I'm one of the pastors here at Eagle Naz. We hope that the next 30 minutes helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus, and that you will see how God wants to move in your life. Thanks for listening. That, that Tacoma Bridge, uh, with third largest suspension bridge in the world at the time, it was thought to be this incredible work of art that wouldn't have any problems, but it had a flaw. And it collapsed because of that, the resonance issue and the sound waves and imploded because of one thing being wrong. And, and a, a lot of things can be right in a relationship, but there can be this one thing that can really get in the way. And today we get to talk about a, one of those one things that can get in the way that can be damages to, to relationships. Now, isn't it true that, that we're tempted often in life with things that destroy our relationships? There's all kinds of things that get in the way. Uh, but the, the one thing today is the temptation toward comparison. That there's this uh, thing that happens that we're going to read about in Scripture today where we begin to compare ourselves against each other. Uh, there's this ache in our heart that we want to feel like we're enough. We, wanna, we want to know that we're okay. We want to feel like we're special or important. And so we tend to put others down to make ourselves look better or we compare ourselves. Any, okay, anybody in the crowd understand what I'm talking about? You may have asked questions of yourself. Um, how come... Well, I know you're all beautiful. We at Eagle Naz were only beautiful people. But let's just say in, in a church where everybody didn't feel beautiful, uh, someone might say, well, how come she got all the beauty? How come he got all the brains? Why did she get the beauty and the brains? Why do they have such an amazing house? How come I wasn't even noticed and they got the promotion? Why in the world... Am I forgotten when I serve so well? Anybody? We, we all want to look bigger in life. You know, uh, Hitler, when he had pictures taken of him, he made sure that they got below him and took the pictures upward so he looked taller. John Wayne, isn't he like this massive guy? Remember, like the cowboy John Wayne, True Grit, all that? You may not have known that when he had sets built for him, he had the doors lowered so they'd be closer to his head. He wanted to look bigger. Tom Cruise, I mean, who would need any more accolade or good looks or money or fame? To, but in movie sets, he would wear platform shoes to look just a little bit taller. We do that. Where does, where does that come from? Uh, I don't think it started with God's relationship with Adam and Eve. I, I think that when God created humanity, there was this absolute sense of security and love and harmony and being valued. I just believe that. I, I don't believe that God would create us with an ache in our heart. But the lie, the bait of Satan was, you need a little bit more from yourself to be okay in the world. They took the bait. Sin and shame and guilt entered our world. And since that moment, we have had an ache in our heart that tries to be filled with a God-sized need. Is we see it, this uh, terrible temptation toward comparison in the first family. The enemy actually tries to destroy the family of God through comparison. Cain and Abel have this ache in their heart, so they come to God with a sacrifice. 
which represents Jesus to come later, they bring their sacrifice, and Cain's sacrifice is less. He really doesn't give it with a complete and surrendered heart, like Carly talked about last week in her message about the power of complete surrender. And Abel comes, on the other hand, and gives a full sacrifice, which fully represents Jesus in our lives later on. Cain is upset about the sacrifice, and God says to him, sin is crouching at your door, you must master it, but he doesn't. He compares his sacrifice, and he murders his brother. The degree to which comparison can ruin our relationships in all sorts of ways is described in that event. The Apostle Paul is going to look at the church which is surrounded by a culture of comparison. Anybody recognize cultures of comparison? She has this, he has that, things that we talked about. So the Apostle Paul says, listen, we can't be caught up in that kind of world. Uh, There's uh, two groups. There's Jewish Christians who take their pride in the fact that they've been in the God story for thousands of years. So they know the rules, they know how it works, they're God people. The the Gentile Christians can say, we don't have all that baggage, and they say, our religion is more recent, and it's more faithful, and we have the right answers. And they start fighting with each other. They even start arguing about who's the greatest in the church because of the gifts that they have, and the Apostle Paul confronts the issue. I I struggle with this stuff in my life. Am I the only one? Uh, I know for me, it could be uh, wanting to prop myself up and look good through degrees, or or sometimes it's protecting my image. Sometimes when I feel especially chubby, I wear all black. Anybody? Don't raise your hand, but that's okay. This is my thing. Uh, I looked at the scale uh, not too long ago in November, and I realized it was scaring me about my health. And so uh, I talked to my doctor, and I met with the guy and asked advice, but he actually wanted to be my accountability partner, and I was terrorized by it. I love people to empathize me, but I don't want accountability. Anybody there? <laughs> oh, my goodness. And so he, he put out a napkin, and he said, what's your goal? When do you want to get there? Sign right here. I'm going, no, you can't make me. <laughs> I, I did not want to admit that I can't do life alone. I didn't want to admit that I have weaknesses. I wanted to look bigger than I, well, I wanted to look smaller than I am, <laughs> right? And I think we have that tendency that somehow We don't want to let ourselves be seen as we really are. And in this passage we're going to look at in Romans, there's some beautiful truths to unpack about who God wants us to be and how he wants us to see ourselves. So let's stand on our feet. If you've got your Bible with you, I invite you to take it out. If not, you can refer to the screen. Uh, Romans 12, 3 through 8. For by by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to, to think, but to think with sober judgment with each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, excuse me, we have many members, and, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Did you catch how he says that three times in just two verses? Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who 
exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who uh, does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. You may be seated. So the, this uh, passage teaches us that there's this, there's this comparison going on and, and comparison corrodes and collapses relationships just like the bridge we saw in the story. It corrodes and collapses relationships. It, it destroys it. So what would we do? The Apostle Paul is the one writing the, the letter and I love the fact that he's the one writing it. If anybody's qualified to write on this topic about comparison, it's him. Why? Because the Apostle Paul was a, a Jewish priest. He was high up in the hierarchy of power and control and knowledge and learning. And, and he, was, uh, he was so sure of himself at one point that he would go around and arrest Christians. He believed that he had the answers and they didn't have the answers. And, and so he would round up families. He would go to them in the night or whatever and he'd separate moms and dads and kids and he would have people arrested. He would have them killed if he could. He really believed he had all the answers. And one day God just slapped him in the face and stopped him on the road and, and surrendered his heart and he realized he wasn't all that. He realized that he had it all wrong. But here's the beauty. God completely transformed him. The, the power of God in our relationships is transformative. Grace plus availability equals transformation. And so Paul is writing about that reality, and he, he says, here's, here's task no, number one. Uh, let's make sure that none of us think of himself more highly than he should. So here's, here's what we do with that. We embrace ourselves as we are through grace. There's a, a pastor, Danielle Strickland, that, that wrote uh, about this topic of her, her wanting to be big instead of small and our temptation to that. And she said, my smallness is an invitation into God's bigness. My need to prop myself up is, in fact, a deep need to let God in. Then she goes further to say, true humility is agreeing with God about who you are. I love that. It's not thinking that we're not important or special. It's just realizing that we're not important or special because of what we do or the looks we have or the money we have or any of those other outward things. We are just incredibly valuable because we are God's kids. Did you ever, when you had a, a baby, parents, did you ever look and say, you're valuable just because you're beautiful? Babies are red and wrinkled, right? I'm sorry, I didn't. Oh, we just love our kids because they're our kids and God loves us. Here, here's the thing. God gave his son Jesus to die on the cross for you and I. Is there anything more valuable than the blood of Jesus Christ to prove our value? Get this, the scripture says that Jesus was tempted just as we are in every way. He was tempted to sin. I happen to believe that if that's, that's true, that he was tempted in every way, that that means he could have fallen just like we fall. If that is in fact true, if Jesus could have fallen, God took the greatest gamble the world has ever known for our redemption. How valuable are we? And so if we begin to understand our value comes with what God has done, it will be transformative in our lives as we think about 
who we are and who those are, others are around us. So, so the call then is to be honest of it with ourselves about who God is and, and to begin to understand that our value comes through embracing ourselves as God sees us. I think also what Carly said last week about submitting our lives fully to Christ and, and letting the grace of God come in and realizing that God invites us into this amazing relationships and we can't have a, a great value of ourselves until we get rid of guilt and shame in our lives. And when we submit our lives to Jesus in a powerful way, it changes the way that we begin to think about ourselves. Paul goes on in this passage and, and he begins in verse 4 uh, to say, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though, are one body in Christ. That word body, melos, members, it means body part. I was up skiing, and, and I found out that every uh, body part has a voice that matters. I was skiing with my son Colton, Sun Valley, first time ever. It's way too expensive to ski normally, so we just saved up, and we treated ourselves, and we, we were on the mountain skiing, and it was Ice Mountain. It's just the luck of the draw. But over on the right-hand side, there were moguls, and the moguls had uh, some, some soft snow around them because nobody goes there. And so I made the really wise decision to decide to ski moguls. And so I, I went over into the moguls, and I, I turned right, and my body stayed left, and my back screamed out in pain to me. Anybody ever had that? Like, oh, ow. And all oh, that body part spoke to me. And uh, I decided I needed to keep skiing the whole day because I wanted to be with Colts on the mountain. So we skied, and then we went down to the lodge and sat down to take a, a survey. And when I went to get up, all my body part spoke to me. And, and the body part said, I'm necessary, and you need to be careful, right? And, and it was a, we got into this banter at Christmas time over the game a table with games and we started talking. You know those questions like, would you rather be stabbed or burned to death by fire? <laughs> I know it's, it's just dumb nonsense, but we got into that banter and what would you do if you won the lottery? And, and then I don't even know how it came up, but somebody said, um, would you let your foot go for $50 million? I'm like, go where? <laughs> like, chop it off. No, I'm attached to it. I like it. No. They go, come on, Dad, $10 million for a hand? <clears throat> What's that worth? I go, no, I like my, no. They go, you're just old. <laughs> I don't know why every argument comes up with that. Like, you're just old. Come on, seriously. And, and then they started, like, trying to whittle me down. They said, well, okay, how about your thumb? <laughs> no, how about one finger for 100K? Okay, <laughs> you know. <laughs> But there was this great awareness as I was reading this passage that, oh my, how every part of the body is absolutely essential. And Paul reminds the church, he said, we're all connected. We're all functioning as one. You see, they wanted to see themselves as this race and that culture, this religious group and that religious group. They wanted to see themselves as that his ethnicity in history, this person of power, that person of wealth, and Paul says, no, absolutely not. I'm so proud of our church, by the way. I came this morning, and there were guys shoveling snow and salting the walks, 
And the reason we think the snow is beautiful is because we don't slip and, and fall on it because of people like that. I walked in the kitchen area, and there were people filling up communion glasses, and they were just rejoicing. They were talking together. I, I looked at the sound folks back here, and I thought, man, what an amazing church. What, what an amazing church with all kinds of gifted people. And Paul actually goes into that. He gives us seven different gifts. There's, there's way more than that, but he gives us seven, and he starts with prophecy. And he's giving an example of how we would not let comparison reign in our lives. And he said, for example, if you have the gift of prophecy, let, let's do it with the measure of faith given to us by God's grace. Now, now re, he's reminding us, can we imagine what a disaster of pride it would be waiting to happen if one person in the body got all the gifts and Christianity were a, a spectator sport? But he says, no, everybody gets gifts that are different because God, by his grace, sees the gift that will bless us and make us happy, and at the same time, it will fulfill the body. So he said, let's say with prophecy, he says, that gift, the gift to uh, speak God's word or the gift to be able to know something that God has spoken into your life to share with another person, to encourage them, he says, that, that would be done with absolute faith. So when you do that, you do that with incredible faith that God has given this, and you share it, and you go to a person and say, hey, I think God may want to do this in your life or that, and I just want to encourage you, I want to build you up. But you would never say, hey, guess what God told me about you? Right? Because one would be divisive and one would be building. He goes, and then he goes further, what about teaching? He says, you have this gift and the teaching is to teach. Anybody had... Uh, Anybody remember who your teacher was in the fifth grade? Raise your hand if you remember your fifth grade teacher. Whoa, did you see that? Everybody remembers a teacher. Why? Because they have this incredible impact on our lives for good or bad. They have, because teachers teach. They help us to grow in the Christian faith in our church. A teacher helps us to understand how to follow Jesus. What an incredible gift. I know some of you who are teachers, and you just knock it out of the park. You bless so many people with your gift. But Paul says you would never use the gift of teaching to make yourself look big. He, then, then he goes into exhortation. Have you ever met someone who walks in the room, and they begin to talk to you, and they share wonderful things about your life, and they just spread pixie ducks all, all over the room? And by the time they leave, you just feel like you're a foot taller Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's the gift of exhortation where they just, they just lighten the mood. They bless you. They tell you things that are true. They, they're not blowing smoke. But they bless you so much. You can, somebody came to mind as I was speaking about somebody who has a gift of exhortation, but that gift could be misused. Someone could say nice things about you because they want to feel good about themselves. They could say nice things about you to look good in the presence of others, and that would be a complete misuse of the gifts that God gives us. And so Paul goes, he, he uses a couple other gifts. <coughs> he says, some of you can give generously. God's given you the ability to give, and you just love to give, and it comes out of this heart where you just, you love to give to other people. And he said, now there are those who, who want, he says, that's not the gift of other people, so they give a bunch of money to look good. He says, that's not the gift. And by the way, this is not a, a gift about how much money you have. This is about the size of your heart, not your pocketbook. And he says, and, and you who have that gift, always make it about building 
up God and blessing other people. He, he then says, you who lead, uh, do it with zeal. Don't lose the passion. Don't go through the motions. Don't do it for self-interest. He says, I want you to, to lead people because you love people well. And, and then he said, you who have the gift of mercy. He says, sometimes you can get tired of doing it. Or you can even do this gift because you want to seem super spiritual once again. And he said, no, do this gift because you have a heart. We had a dog named Boots in our family. Boots was a schnauzer. Boots was terribly disobedient. I would say, Boots, come back. And he would look at me and run the other way. <laughs> but Boots had the gift of mercy. Boots would uh, sit on my lap, and he absorbed my pain. I mean, if I had a bad day, cats cannot do this. They are incapable. <laughs> but Boots could absorb my sadness. He just knew... And, and he stopped being disobedient in those moments, and he would lay on my lap, and it would just, it was okay. When nobody else liked me, everybody hated me, and I wanted to go eat worms, Boots was my friend. <laughs> Boots got run over by a car because he was being disobedient. Bad dog. <laughs> and I cried. And I buried him, and I made a cross over his grave. Why? Because, because he affected me in such a profound way way. Some of you have the boots gift. Some of you have this an amazing, uh, amazing quality that you can make it all better. That without even saying a word, you can sit by a hospital bed. You can walk into a nursing home. You can put a, a hand on a shoulder. You can look into the eyes of someone filled with pain and you absorb their pain and take away the hurt. You see, no gift is unimportant. No gift is of more value than any other gift. Every one of us has some spiritual gift that when we were born into God's family, he said, I want to give you a gift. And, and it's possible to actually despise the gift that God gave us because we compare to somebody else and say, I wish, oh, if I only had their gift. When Jesus Christ knows that the gift that he gives to each of us according to the measure of faith we have and the kind of personality we have and the work that he wants to do, that that gift is a powerful force in the kingdom of God. So what if we were tempted recently, what would it look like? Maybe you've been tempted to look at someone recently and say, uh, I wish I could be like them. I wish I could have what they have. I, I wish I had their money. Would you be willing, at the end of the service when we take communion, would you be willing to just say, Jesus, I'm sorry. You are the giver of every perfect gift. I want to thank you for the gift, and I want to celebrate the gift, and, and God, I'm, I'm going to do my very best from this moment on. Every time I'm tempted to compare my life to somebody else's to not do so, uh, because comparison corrodes and eventually collapses relationships, but celebration continues and cements relationships. I'd like to imagine for a moment, I think it's important to understand the implications of this in a bigger picture. Let's imagine for a moment a world controlled by comparison. Uh, 
that world would mean that there would never be satisfaction in the hearts of people because comparison is like drinking salt water. It looks good for thirst, but it only leaves you more thirsty. So no one would ever be truly satisfied in a world where we gain our sense of worth by comparing with one another. Uh, there would be no collaboration in workplaces because there would always be negative competition. There would be no support in our homes. There would be no uh, friendships that would not be ravished by jealousy. The children would be driven to the depths of anxiety as they felt never perfect enough. They would be um, inflated and deflated and undervalued and overvalued all the time, having a false sense of self and security based on leaning on their own abilities and not God's work in their heart. Pride would rule the day and ruin the world and bridges would be burned and relationships would be ruined. I, I, uh, I grew up a twin. I'm still a twin. I, we were born the same day. We were within two ounces of the same weight. Uh, they gave us the same gifts on every birthday. Our names were Timmy and Tommy. I'm a, I don't know, did it ever occur to anybody that we might want different gifts or we might want to wear different clothes? But the outfits were the same, and we played on the same football team, and we played the same position on the same football team, and we ran for the same offices, and, but by the grace of God, we didn't date the same girls. <laughs> I, I, I learned from that that I needed to choose to love my brother instead of compete with a rival, because comparison is caustic. Comparison actually collapses relationships. Uh, we, when we parent, may we never compare our children who are unique individuals. May we never compare them with one another. You're not like your brother. You're not like your mother. Oh, that's a good one. That'll get you points, guys. <laughs> I wish you did it like he did. How come you can't fix it like that guy does? Well, that'll fly, right? And so let's look at a world for a moment. Imagine a world overwhelmed by celebration, a world where we replace comparison with celebration. There would be great teamwork in the workplace. Can I just tell you I love this church? That's why I haven't left it in 25 years. They, they just can't. There's no better church to go to. I'm sorry. Uh, can, can I just tell you that I love my staff? I, I sit around the table at devotional time Tuesday morning, and I look around and I just, my heart is full of gratitude from God for a group of people that are amazing and smarter than me and wonderful and kind and gifted. And I go, God, how could I get so lucky? How could I get so lucky? Uh, when I think about a life filled with celebration, there would be selflessness in marriage. There would be uh, great encouragement in our friendships. There would be genuine happiness for others' accomplishments. There would be a deep sense of consistent self-esteem building in our own lives. By the way, self-esteem doesn't happen overnight. When we've lived a life where people didn't encourage us, some people grow up in homes where, for whatever reason, mom or dad just didn't know how to encourage or chose not to encourage. And that has a deep and lasting impact and effect on our lives. And it sometimes takes years to understand not from the head knowledge, but to the heart, 
that we are deeply loved and appreciated and, and powerful in our own right because we are all children of God. Amen? And so let's be good to ourselves and good to each other. I have seen lives transformed in the church who men in a Bible study who will say, I'm a no good, rotten so-and-so, and, and a few years later, they, they use none of that. They talk about their power and how incredible they are and how loved they are by Jesus, and they go, yes, God can change us. He can make us new. He can literally renew our minds by the power of his spirit. There would be a deep sense of, uh, of, of diminished pride and inferiority. The civil rival, sibling rivalry would turn to family unity, and bridges would be built of relationships would be restored. Maybe you've even been tempted this week to compare yourself to somebody else. Maybe you've posted something on social media that, that is an attempt to wear black or to have a degree or to look bigger in some way. And, and maybe you want to take down that post. Maybe you want to think about um, asking God for forgiveness in the area of comparing. Uh, how about becoming a member of the church? Remember, every voice is vital. This is a shameless pitch. Every year, I say, you are vital to the body of Christ. And every voice matters in every election and every part of the greater church. And when you go out today, there will be a, in the information table, there will be a, a brochure. And if you're ready to say, I am all in, we're ready to receive you as a member. Amen? And I know we do that through baptism and we do that through other things and I know that we belong even if we don't sign on a piece of paper. But can I just say it's vitally important that we identify ourselves with this community. And so we're going to give you lots of opportunities for me to be shameless about that topic. I think about a prisoner that I read about. His name was Jim Baker. Anybody remember... Are you old enough? The scandal of the Jimmies, Jimmy Swagger, Jimmy Baker. Jim Baker had uh, a, an amazing blessing on his life. He raised up a, an empire of evangelism, but he got sideways. He started thinking, this is just my opinion. I say it with all uh, care. I think he began to think of himself as more important than he really was. And he landed in prison and uh, his wife divorced him, and he was forgotten there. Jim Baker said he got a call that there was a visitor, and he was sure it had to be his attorney because he was of no value, obviously, and nobody would come and see him. And on the other side of the visitor's desk was an evangelist named Billy Graham. Jim Baker couldn't even look up. He said, here's this amazing, pure, wonderful Yes, sure, human evangelist with flaws, but this amazing man of integrity, what's he even doing visiting me? And he wasn't getting it, that out of a genuine heart of love and care, you know, when we, when we value ourselves as we are, we can value other people as they are. You know what I'm saying? And, and Billy Graham finally stopped the conversation and said, Jim, Ruth and I have been praying for you like crazy would you come to our house for dinner when you get out of here? For the first time, Jim Baker didn't have somebody treat him like he was the scum of the earth or like he was the star of the show. He had somebody treat him like he was normal. What if this week 
we decided to do some things to celebrate other people and to stop the comparison trap in our lives. I, I think of several things. Uh, that might be serving somebody that we work with. If you're, a, there's a lot of white collar workers at Eagle Naz, people in leadership, in affluence. What if you took out the trash? What if you made the coffee in the morning before other people got there to do it? What if at, at the dinner table, we just uh, decided to bless the people at the table? We could do it covertly with our children. Don't tell them it's my idea. Actually it came from you, Carly. Thank you. Uh, what, what if we just each night at the table this week, at some point, just talked about each kid. She's so amazing. She's, he's so wonderful. Can you believe how mom is so great? Or dad, we're so thankful for you. And just went around the table and began to celebrate other people. What if there's somebody at work who, who you've really been frustrated with and you just celebrated them? What if with your spouse... Uh, what if you just surprise them? Instead of seeing the worst in them, which is a form of comparison, what if instead of measuring them by the, the worth of what they do, you measured them by the worth of how God sees them? And you just said, I refuse to see you with eyes other than Jesus' eyes this week. Now, what if somebody at work that seems to get all the credit, or they, they do a project and maybe you helped on it, you don't, don't worry about it at all, you just celebrate like crazy because of something they did. You see, God works powerfully in unity in a place where nobody cares who gets the credit and everybody celebrates what's been done. What if you invited somebody to dinner that maybe feels hurt or broken or unworthy, and you didn't treat them like a star, and you didn't treat them like the scum of the earth. Now, here's the danger. If you get invited to dinner, don't think that you're a prisoner. <laughs> don't think that you're a person that's unworthy in any way, because there are no unworthy persons when it comes to loving one another. Amen? But what if we invited people into our lives and in our homes, in our relationships, and we gave them incredible value as Jesus does us. It's, it's what Jesus did on the night that he was betrayed. Get this, the night that he was betrayed. It's, it's one of the greatest faith moves that I've ever seen. When he looked into a group of people just like you and I, and he said, on the night that he was betrayed, he said, hey, we're gonna have this meal again, and we're gonna be a, a group of transformed people and I'm gonna pour my spirit out on you and you're gonna, you're gonna change the world. <sighs> he breathed hope and life and goodness into them. And then he gave them the bread and he gave them the, the drink. And he said, why is that possible? Because for the first time, you're going to understand, not with your head, but also with your heart and with every part of your being, you're going to understand the measure of my love for you and it will be a return to the garden and we will be people not striving to be good enough, but we will understand how we are loved. Amen.